tend to rush over the events of the crucifixion, the highlights when we talk about the crucifixion. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, he was, he was crucified, nails to the hands, feet, uh, a crown. And, and we sometimes forget just to pause and to truly reflect. Just what Jesus endured on the cross. Um, what he experienced, the pain, the anguish, just the rejection that he experienced on the cross. And so when we think of the cross, what we need to understand that um, it was most probably the, the worst possible way to die in the ancient days. It was literally the way they structured, put together this whole, you know, dying on the cross, not the physical cross itself, was set up in such a way that it would afflict the utmost, highest amount of pain to an individual whilst trying to postpone death for as long as possible. So we're going to try and give you the worst possible experience pain-wise, and we'll try to make sure that it is extended over a period of time so that you will endure it. And so this is the cross. And so Sunday I preached about just receiving peace in Him. Jesus said, in me you may have peace. And so this peace that is freely given to us, to those that are in Jesus, came at a cost. It came at a cost. And it literally cost him his life. But this unshakable peace, word unshakable as I explained Sunday, cannot be changed, it's steadfast, was as a result of this unshakable event. Uh, and so that is what we're going to just study together and journey together through in the Word this morning. And you can open your Bibles with me if you have it. We're going to read from Matthew 27 this morning. We're going to read from verse 45. So the context here, Jesus has been mocked. He's been flocked. He's literally been crucified. And so this is as he was hanging on the cross, we start reading the death of Jesus. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamach sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on the reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and healed up his spirit. And behold, the curtains of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook. And the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with great awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So I want us this morning just to focus on three things from this passage. When we think about this unshakable event, the event that cannot be changed, three things. 
I want us to focus on the darkness, the curtain, and the centurion. The darkness, the curtain, and the centurion. So let me read quickly just about the darkness. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. So from 12 o'clock midday until three o'clock, it was dark. And so contrasting, if you look at it, the day Jesus was crucified, darkness filled the air. It's contrasting to the day he was born when light lit up the earth. Light lit up the skies. The shepherds looked up and they saw the angels. And it says the glory of God surrounded them, shined around them. And so there are many resources all looked at. Legitimate resources that testifies that there was darkness on the earth the day that Jesus was crucified. I'm just going to highlight two, two of these. A guy by the name of Origen of Alexandra, his uh, picture will be up there. He was an early church father. He lived 185 AD. So in his writing, so the resources that they used to see if this really happened, they looked at at scrolls, at letters that were written in those days, and they looked at it, they verified that these people lived. So many resources. This is just one of them. In one of his scrolls, where he's writing, he quotes a Roman historian. And the quote is the following. He quotes this Roman historian physically saying that the Roman Empire was aware of the darkness that happened that day. Is written down. Another of the great early church historians, Tertullian, writes to a Roman historian saying the following, about the darkness, listen to this, which is written about in your annals and archived in your own history unto this very day. There's many, many resources. that was looked at, that states that there was darkness. And so this morning, I don't want to look at whether that was true or not. There's enough that proves that it was true. What I want us to look at is the significance of the darkness. And to understand the significance of the darkness, you need to understand the Jewish culture, their, their customs in worshiping, in, reli in religious acts. And so one of these was the high priest once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day where the high priest had to go into the holies of holies before God to bring a sacrifice for our sins. He had to go past the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. And so as he went there, he had to go there in darkness and in solitude and had to sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat as an atonement for our sins, for the people's sins. And so Jesus, that ministered publicly for three years, enters into darkness as a sacrifice, as an atonement for our sin. And so that's the first thing, the first, if you look at a Jewish culture, the first significant thing about the darkness. The second is found in what they called the judgment of darkness. The judgment of darkness. Now, in the Babylonian tunic that was written long before the crucifixion, the Jews said that God reserved darkness 
for punishment when he wanted to punish somebody for an unusual sin. And so they cite the ninth plague in Egypt to try and explain this. What was the ninth plague in Egypt? And darkness covered the earth, that land, for three days. For three hours it was dark. For three days Jesus remained in the tomb. And so Jesus enters into darkness when he dies as a sacrifice for our sins. And in this moment, what we need to understand is that the Father punishes his Son for our sin. Now again, we can think about the pain, and he experienced a lot of pain, the rejection, the anguish. Some of us sitting here this morning can identify with some of these just emotions and experiences. But the ultimate punishment is found in the words that Jesus cries out directly after it became dark. My Father, my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in that moment, the rejection that Jesus went through was being totally rejected, totally removed from the Father. Something that you and I will never have to experience if we are in Him. And so in Jesus, we will never have to go through the ultimate rejection of God turning His back on us. So the darkness symbolizes the sacrifice of sin. The curtain, at the moment the curtain of the temple was torn into, into two from top to bottom. In that moment where Jesus, verse just before it says, he yielded up his spirit, he gave up his life. You need to remember that in John, in the book of John he says, and nobody can take my life except if I give it. And so in this moment what we need to see, Jesus healed his spirit. He was in control the whole time. And so willingly, He gives up His Spirit for us. And so in that moment when He shouted out those words, He healed up His Spirit, the curtain tore. So something we need to understand about the temple, it had different rooms, different courts. There was a court for men, court for women, court for the high priest, and then there was an outer court. It was the furthest away from the Holy of Holies, God's presence. And so the outer court was reserved for the non-Jews, the Gentiles, for us. And so if you look at the temple and the way it was structured, everything it communicated was a divide, segregation. Women not allowed with men. Nobody allowed with a priest. And the Gentiles, the non-Jews, you were not allowed even to come close to anybody, let alone the Holy of Holies. And so the curtain brought a divide between God and man. And so in this moment, the curtain tears from top to bottom. The divide is taken away. The moment that curtain tore, the divide between God and man is taken away. And man, all mankind, doesn't matter in which court you found yourself, could enter into his presence. And so the fact that it tore from the top to the bottom signifies that it was something God did. God restored, broke down, 
took away the divide between himself and man. It is God that invited people into his presence. It is God, through Jesus, that invites us this morning into his presence. And so one accord in history, one account in history, uh, it is written that the Jews, after everything happened, went and sewed the curtain back up again. And they returned to their old ways of sacrifice and worshiping God. Isn't it typical? When God simplifies things, we complicate. And just think of the curtain. How is it possible that I can enter into His presence? That I can have a relationship with God? Do you understand all the sin in my life? Surely there must be something I need to do. Let's sew up the curtain again. Something I need to do. Something I need to sacrifice to get forgiveness. Typical of how God simplifies something. Think of religions where they put man in between worship God. You do it through man. You need to do certain things to accomplish holiness. And so the curtain significant in that it resembles an invitation into relationship. Darkness signifies the sacrifice for sin, whereas the curtain that was torn symbolizes an invitation into relationship. Verse 40, uh, 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. You see, here's something about fiction. Fiction you can change as you go. But facts, real life events cannot be changed. Pearl Harbor happened. And everything that happened on that day can never be changed. It is cemented into history. Russia invading the Ukraine is currently part of becoming history forever. You cannot change it. And so there are many events that you and I might not agree with. We don't feel is true. But whether what we feel or think, when it's a real life event, it can never be changed. And so the story of the cross is a real life event. That is cemented into history. You can even go and read the religious scriptures of the Muslim faith. They too make mention of the cross. It is not disputed. It is cemented into history. And Jesus dying on the cross signified the most significant event in the history of the world. And so... This has caused a lot of debate, has caused a lot of emotions inside different people over thousands of years. And it will keep on causing these emotions till the day that he returns. But it will never change the fact that Jesus was crucified. And so what we need to understand as believers as those that profess Jesus as Lord and Savior with our mouths, that believe with our hearts, that our faith is based 
on real life events. The cross and the resurrection. Unlike other religions, where it's about the teaching that you have to, to try and achieve through self, that brings you your salvation. The Christian faith is based not on the teaching, but on the acts of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith is based on what He did. And so when we look at this centurion, he saw all the events. He proclaimed with his mouth, surely this is the Son of God. And so events brings us to a place where we can either deny it or by faith respond and proclaim Him as Lord and Savior. You see, what we, what we need to understand about the centurion is the following. He was part of all the events that happened throughout the day. He was part of the soldiers that were in the courtyard when Jesus was brought out. They undressed him, they put a rope on him, they put a crown on his head, a wreath in his hands, and they bowed before him. They even hit him with his weed over the head. The centurion was a witness to that. And then the scripture says, and they took him. Those soldiers that they were there present, they took him and they crucified him. He was in charge of the actual crucifixion. He was the one that made sure that it took place. And then scripture says, and they sat and they watched over him, verse 54. And so in the midst of all his wrongdoings, through witnessing this unshakable event playing out in front of him, earth shaking, the curtain tearing, dead people coming to life, the centurion proclaims that truly he was the Son of God. Maybe you still find yourself in that place of darkness this morning. Maybe there's certain areas in your life where you are still keeping things in darkness. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you don't count yourself as worthy to go into the presence of a Father, a heavenly God. And so when we look at the cross, we look at the curtain, we look at the darkness, what Jesus is communicating to you and me this morning is, I went into darkness so that you can experience light. And through me, the divide between man and God was restored to its creation purpose, being in relationship. So this morning, Jesus is extending a hand of invitation to you and me to come out of darkness, to experience light, to experience a living relationship with an heavenly Father who loves you, who gave up his son for you. So how do we respond? Like the centurion. By faith, we acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. 